everyone. It's always a joy to be able to come and be with you and to worship with you. Um, I am the campus minister for RUF at NC State, and it is uh, the beginning of the semester, so we've been pretty busy uh, trying to connect with new students, passing out snow cones and water bottles and uh, wristbands and trying to connect in with people. But God is using um, your prayers and our efforts to bring people to hear the proclamation of the gospel. Just one quick example at our first large group, we had a freshman bring out his roommate and his roommate was not a Christian and his roommate uh, listened during the sermon and something sparked an interest in his heart. And he came up afterwards and asked if we had a Bible that we could give him because he never had a Bible. And he wanted to know how he could get more involved. And so he's now started coming to a Bible study on the book of Revelation of all things. Um, and is also coming back to our large group and learning more about Jesus and his glory. So give thanks for the way that God is working and please do keep us in your prayers that God might continue to use us to bring the gospel onto the campuses of NC State and Meredith. Uh, today we're gonna be looking at uh, one of the fruits of the spirit, the fruit of patience. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to reflect on a couple of the fruit of the Spirit, or three of the different fruit of the Spirit that I think I need in my life. Um, and perhaps you two will find that it's helpful to think how we can see different fruit of the Spirit grow. And today we're going to be looking at the fruit of patience, which is really something that I struggle with. Like an example is, I don't know if you've had this experience, if you've been out late at night and you're like driving home and you get to an intersection and the light is red um, and it's green the other way and there's no cars coming that other way. And so you sit there and say, okay, well, the light's going to change. I probably tripped it and it's going to change in a second. And you wait. and It doesn't change. And you like, look, are there cars coming? Or you kind of move back and forth to perhaps trip the sensor to get it to change and you wait. And it still doesn't change. You begin to wonder, well, how long do I have to wait? <laughs> Should I just drive on? It looks like there's no other cars going. And the longer that you wait, the more you realize how frustrated you are with that process of waiting. The more pain that it feels like you are experiencing because you just want to be home. You want to be in your bed. You don't want to be stuck here at the light. We all have to wait. Waiting is a part of being a creature. Waiting is a part of being a human. We learn this even from the earliest ages when our parents tell us, well, you have to wait a little bit, honey, for my attention, or wait your turn. We all have to wait. Some of us wait a few minutes for coffee in the morning. Some of us were waiting a few months for college football season to start. Some of us are waiting for retirement to come and are counting down the days, the months, the years. Some of us are waiting for healing from a chronic sickness and see no end in sight. Some of us are waiting for answers to prayers that are desperate and heartfelt. We all are waiting on something. It's not a question of whether or not you wait, but how you wait. Do you wait with a drumming of fingers, with a foot tapping? With a, a deep sigh, do you wait with cynicism, wondering if your waiting is in vain? Does waiting create despair? 
discouragement, sadness. As Tom Petty says, the waiting is the hardest part. We all have to wait because we are creatures, but how you wait is important. Psychologists tell us that delayed gratification, which is chosen waiting, is highly correlated with positive life outcomes. Waiting is important, and how you wait is vital. And what we see in the passage that we're going to look today is the way that waiting is marked in a Christian's life. That waiting is not just some act of our will, an act of endurance out of our own strength, but waiting for the Christian is seen by patience. Patience, which is not something that we manufacture, but which Paul tells us is a fruit of the Spirit. That waiting is seen by patience. And James, in this passage that we're going to look at, shows us how we begin to grow this patience in our life, or really how God begins to grow it into our hearts so that we wait well as people of the Lord. So let's turn our attention now to the book of James. I'm going to read from us, read for us from chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. This is God's word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patient brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this, the word of the Lord, stands forever. I'm going to pause and pray that he might bless our time reflecting on it. You're welcome to pray along with me in your hearts. Father, we pray that you would be with us now. And just as in the creation you spoke and brought forth light and life, may your words today bring life to our hearts and light to our eyes. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So today as we look at this passage, I think that James shows us the ingredients that we need to see patience in our life. That patience is something that is connected into different aspects of the Christian life. That in order for us to have patience, we also need to have hope. That in order to have patience, we also need to have mercy. In order to have patience, we also need to have trust. That all these three, three things are important ingredients to us having patience in our life. And I think James starts by helping us to see that, that hope is an important part of patience in the Christian life. Look at verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. There, as James says to be patient, he uses the Greek word makrothumos. 
And that Greek word basically has the idea of deferred anger or long suffering. Patience assumes something that you don't desire is happening or that you're lacking what you do desire. And patient comes with the question of how long can you endure that desire? How long do you sit at that stoplight that's red and wait for it to turn green before deciding I'm not gonna wait anymore, I'm just gonna go. Patience is that question of how long can you wait, which is why it's called long suffering. Because we're made to be desiring creatures. That's good. But when we don't have that desire fulfilled, it saps our strength. It weighs on us. It impacts us in a deep, deep way. And so James says that in order for us to wait and for that, that waiting, that patience, to not feel like a suffering that is destroying us, we need something to look forward to. We need something to hold out in front of us to keep us going, to endure, to suffer for a long time. And so he says, that's why we need hope. And he describes this with a picture, a picture of a farmer. He describes a farmer in this arid climate of Palestine that he's writing to. And he uh, pictures this farmer who plants their seed for their crop, but they have to wait before they can plant it. Because in this arid climate, if you try to plant into dry dirt, you're going to be frustrated and the, the seed is not going to be received well by the ground. So in this climate, they would always have to wait for the first rains to come. And the first rains would come and they would soften the ground and they bring moisture into the ground so that it would be able to receive the seed. And so the farmer has to wait for that first rains. But even after that, the farmer has to wait again. The seed is taken into the ground and it begins to grow, but the farmer cannot harvest until the second rain comes. Again, this is an arid climate. And in this climate, the, the plants would begin to grow and they would begin to bear fruit, but the plums would not fill out. The wheat would not fill out until a second rain came and brought into that fruit the plumpness that it needed to be able to be ripe and ready to eat. We've seen this with the squash that we're growing um, in, in our yard. And the way that, that the squash will be kind of small, but then all of a sudden a big rain will come and boom, almost overnight, it explodes into these deep, rich squash that we can enjoy to eat. And James is using this analogy to, to bring into the minds of the people the way that, that in order for them to be patient, in order for them to wait, they have to have a hope that that waiting is worthwhile that that waiting bears good fruit, that that waiting is not in vain. And so often that's what is the challenge for us in waiting, that we feel like our waiting is vain. I see it in my own life in prayers, prayers that I've prayed for years and years. And I begin to wonder, is this prayer even being heard? And I can begin to get cynical about God. Are you really listening? Do you really care? Is this prayer worthwhile? It's hard to wait when you don't have hope. 
But that's why James tells us we have to have hope in order to have patience, in order to wait well. But he doesn't just call us to hope in hope, does he? But the way that he frames the Christian hope is that the Christian hope is not hoping in hope, hoping that something may happen, hoping that your wish is fulfilled. But the way that a Christian waits with hope is waiting in the Lord. And that's what he says at the beginning of verse 7, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. Or again in verse 8 he says, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The whole of Christian life is really about waiting on Jesus. The whole of the Christian life is really on waiting on Jesus to do the work that we need him to do, to do the work in the way that we need him to do it, to wait on him to show up and bring into our life the hope, the healing, the redemption that we long for. This is what the Old Testament saints had to do. They had to wait on Jesus' first coming. Wait on him to, in a sense, bring those first rains, to break up the hard ground of this world so that the seeds of the gospel could be planted, to bring forth tremendous fruit. But we, after that first coming, are waiting for those second rains. We're waiting for the fullness of his work to come. We're, we're in a sense, in that times where the plums are there, but they aren't full. And we wait for that time, for the second reign, for Jesus to come again, to bring the fullness of his work of redemption to bear great fruit into this world. And that's what we're doing even in these individual moments, waiting on Jesus, knowing that he has changed our heart. He's broken up the hardness of our heart through the work of his spirit and redemption but he hasn't made our heart fully right, fully ripe. And so we wait. We wait on him to bring us freedom from the sins that so easily entangle us. We wait on him to bring change into our marriage. We wait on him to bring out the promises that are placed on our children in baptism to fruition. We wait to see this world no longer scarred by war, by shootings in supermarkets and subways. We wait for him to remove pandemics and political upheaval. We wait for him to remove death and despair. But as we look at all these things, all these problems, we wait with hope because it's not us that has to break up these sins. It's not us that has to break up the evil that we see in this world, but it is what he does and will do. And so James says we establish our hearts to wait with patience by keeping our eyes not on our ability to bring out our desires in our life. And not with a generic sense of I hope this will happen, but with a trust, a confidence that Jesus will bring into our life and into this world the good that we long for. James wants patience to be something that we do as we look to Jesus as the foundation of our hope and the way that we wait. But James wants patience not to be something that you just do for yourself, but also something that is reflected in what you do towards others. 
And so James shows us that, that in order to grow in patience, we also have to grow in mercy. So he continues in this passage to say in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Patience is, is awaiting. It's a, a desire delayed, but patience is also enduring pain and hardships that, that come from others that are around us. And that's why he brings out grumbling in verse 9. When he says to not grumble against one another, James is seeing that grumbling is connected to patience. Because grumbling is really the rumbling of discontent in our heart. It was the Israelites that grumbled when God wasn't giving them meat. He, they grumbled when they thought that he wasn't giving them the food that they wanted, the water that they wanted. They grumbled against God because they were impatient with his provision. And we are all people that grumble. And our grumbling is usually against others. Our grumbling is usually with an edge towards it. You may have grumbled this morning. You're so inconsiderate. Why do you always make us late to church? You may have grumbled about other drivers. Look at that maniac. He's all over the place. You grumble about your boss. This guy's running this company to the ground. Doesn't he have better sense? We all grumble, right? And grumbling is a way that it feels innocuous. It can feel funny. But grumbling is dangerous in James' perspective because grumbling is a way that we're dipping our toes into wrath towards others. Grumbling is a sign that we lack patience. And that lack of patience comes out in a lack of mercy towards those that are around us. In the Old Testament, the word for patience has the idea of slow anger. It's really a beautiful picture. It's called being long-nosed, long-nosed. It's how God describes himself to Moses. He describes his character like this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That slow to anger is literally long-nosed. Because instead of responding to insult and injury with immediate wrath, God does this. He breathes in. He cools off. Impatient in that way is how we suffer without bringing retaliation against those that we see as the cause of our suffering. Impatience is not waiting on your anger to cool down so that you can be wise in your actions, but waiting is you doing your anger, acting out of that impulse that says, I must bring wrath for the suffering that I'm experiencing. It's the opposite of the verse that says, be angry and do not sin. It's being angry and sinning. And this is what is the danger of grumbling, because when you grumble, what you're doing is you're dipping your toes into that wrath, dipping your toes into that anger, speaking out of anger, not compassion, speaking out of grudge, not out of grace, speaking out of frustration, not faithfulness. James learned this from his older brother, who you may know is Jesus. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to the judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, you good for nothing, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, 
will be in danger of hell. What is he saying? He's saying grumbling is serious. Grumbling is deadly. Because when you're grumbling about someone, you're planting the seed of murder in your heart. That, that calling this person a fool, an idiot, a good for nothing is a way that you're saying that this person needs to be removed from my existence. That they're bringing suffering into my heart and life is something that means that I have to bring suffering to their life. And ultimately, I want to remove them from existence. My life matters more than theirs. And so James helps us to fight against this sense of grumbling in our heart by reminding us of the judgment of Jesus. He says when we grumble, we need to remember that the judge is standing at the door. To remember that Jesus is right there. Because that creates for us the question of how do we want Jesus to deal with us when we don't do right? How do we want Jesus to deal with us when we bring pain into his life through our sin? How do we want Jesus to deal with us when he sees our failures? What kind of judgment do you want Jesus to bring towards you? I think we would all want Jesus to respond to us in the way that he said he was like in speaking to Moses with compassion, with steadfast love, with being long-nosed to not respond to our sin with immediate wrath, but to respond with grace and kindness. And as we see his character, see his mercy, that begins to help grow into our heart kindness and mercy towards others. And again, what we're seeing is patience grows as we look to the Lord. Patient grows as we see him as the person that we are waiting on. And so we wait with hope. Patience grows as we see his character in patience with us and how he's merciful to us. And so that helps grow our mercy and kindness towards others. Because patience ultimately requires us to be patient with God. Patience ultimately comes down to the question of, do we trust him as being good? And that's what James gets to in this last section of our passage. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfastness. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And there what he's doing is he's drawing into the minds of his readers the question of can we trust God when it doesn't seem like he is with us? Can we trust God when it seems like he's not keeping up his end of the bargain? 
And here he's using two words for patience. He uses that word macrothumos again, that long nose, but he also uses another one, hypomonin. And this is translated as steadfastness in the, the passage that we are, or the translation we're using today, but it's also often translated as patience. And James is showing us another aspect of a patience and another way that you deepen patience in your life by being steadfast, by standing firm in the place that you are, by saying that I'm not going to move from where I am because I believe that God is going to show up right here. Which is what he does by giving us the example of Job. Job, who had a lot of suffering come into his life. Job, who had friends who came and said, listen, Job, God isn't showing up. You must have done something bad. So why don't you curse him and get it over with? He'll come and kill you. Move on. But what did Job say? Job said, no, I didn't do anything wrong. And here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand here and not move. Why? Because I know that my Redeemer lives that I will see him face to face, that he will come and stand here on this earth. James sees patience as that kind of steadfastness, that when everything says to run away from God, because God's not coming to you, that you stand right there and that you don't move. And this helps us to understand that the nature of patience for the Christian is never something that comes out of you, but is always something that comes out of God. You see, the way that other people try to gain patience or wait well in their life is to shut down in their heart their desires, to shut down in their heart their hopes, to shut down in their hearts their connection to others. It's what we see sometimes in, in parenting. You can take away your child's phone and they say, well, I didn't want my phone anyway. You can say, well, you can't go out on Friday night. Well, I don't want to go out anyway. What are they doing? They're trying to shut down that part of their heart. This is what Buddhism teaches is the way to patience. It says, the Buddha says this, there's no fear for one whose mind is not filled with desires. There's no fear for those whose mind is not filled with desires. There, the path of Buddhism says you can have all the patience in this world if you just shut down your heart, if you just shut down your desires, if you just don't care. But James is showing us a way that we can have desires and have patience. And he does it by pointing us to the way that our patience is not something that is an act of us but is all about a confidence that God's acts are good. And so he mentions Job, but then he also mentions the prophets. He talks about the prophets as an example of suffering and patience, having spoken in the name of the Lord. But why are they an example of suffering and patience? Because so often they would go out and they would tell people the news of what God was going to do. Bad news oftentimes. And, and the way that people would respond is they would often ignore them and they would sometimes kill them. You go and look at Isaiah 6 where God calls Isaiah to be a prophet. And he says, here's what I want you to do. Go and speak to a people. But guess what? They're not going to listen. And so Job, or not Job, Isaiah was called to go out and to speak knowing that 
what he was going to do would seem vain and empty. And so much of what is our struggle in patience is just that very point. It seems like our patience is often vain and our patience is often empty. And it would be so much easier to just shut down that desire to say, well, I'm going to stop praying because God obviously doesn't care about this. I'm going to stop being faithful in the way that he's called me to be faithful, waiting for a spouse to come because God obviously doesn't care. And so we much would rather squash those desires in our heart than have to be steadfast and stand right in the spot that God has called us to and wait for him to come and redeem our pain. Wait for him to come and redeem us in the place that we are. And so we have the health issues in our life and we wonder, why would God let this be? We struggle financially and we pray and we've done all that we could out of wisdom and we wonder, God, why are you not helping? We pray and ask him to give us friends for the loneliness in our life and we wonder why he's not doing that. We don't see God moving. And so we begin to think, well, maybe I need to move. We don't see God addressing our hearts. And so we think, well, I need to address my heart. We don't see him addressing our pain. And we think, well, I have to figure out a way to deal with it. But that's why James ends this passion by pointing us back to how we have patience and hold on to our desires, how we don't move, but we wait to see God move by saying, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. There James is quoting that passage when God spoke about his character to Moses, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And there he's reminding us that that's always the key to patience, seeing God's character. Patience grows as we see who he is. The depth of your patience is the depth to which you see God's character as true in your heart. And you can only be patient when you know that the purpose of God is for your good. And the purpose of God is for your healing. And the purpose of God is for your glory. Think about what it would mean if God's purpose, if his driving purpose is what James says it is, compassion for you. If that's his driving purpose, then every little bit of pain that comes into your life is in some way fruitful. It's that second rain to come, in a sense, to break up the hard ground and to bring fruitfulness into your heart. I experienced this last Sunday, when in the busyness of the season of campus ministry, our dishwasher broke. And I had to fix it. And I fixed it, and then my repair leaked all over to the ground. <laughs> And so driving home late, knowing that I was going to come home and have to repair this dishwasher, I said, God, why are you doing this? You're sovereign over dishwashers. You're greater than KitchenAid. Why would you allow this to happen? And so I said, all right, preacher boy, answer that question. 
If God is good, why is he doing this? And so I had to think, challenge myself. And I thought, well, hmm. you know, I really love comfort. I love comfort. And I want my home to be a place of comfort. And I want my comfort to be driven by the circumstances, that I can go home and I can sit down and do nothing. And that to me is comfort. But what you're teaching me, perhaps in this dishwasher issue, is that there's a lot more comfort in your presence with me than me kind of disengaging, sitting on a couch, watching a TV show. Or maybe in this time you're teaching me patience in the way that so often I just want to rush through the, the busyness of life, rush through the tasks so that I can get to a place that, that never seems to arrive. Maybe you're teaching me to trust so that instead of me trusting on, on my rainy day savings account that I want to keep intact, I have to spend it and then get back to that place that I don't like of dependence upon you. And as I was doing this, I was seeing that even in the midst of this small thing of a dishwasher, he was breaking up my heart and making me ask the question, are you going to stand there and wait for me to come? Or are you going to run away from me and find your own redemption, your own hope, your own comfort out of your own strength? James is wanting us to see that patience grows as we look to the Lord. But as we look to him, what do we see? We see him being compassionate. We see him being faithful. And how do we see that? We see that because we see that our patience is always in the Lord. Our patience is always in light of Jesus, in light of the one who isn't a judge that brings wrath for that which we did wrong, but is the judge who took onto himself suffering that we deserved. Jesus didn't seek to avoid suffering, but entered into suffering. He didn't wait in heaven for us to clean up our act and get to him. But instead, he answered the cry of Job. And he came down to this earth to bring redemption by taking onto himself the fallenness of this world, living a life of poverty, experiencing betrayal, experiencing loss, experiencing suffering, and then went to the cross to, on the cross, wait and suffer until the fullness of God's wrath would be poured out on him so that there would not be a single drop left for you or me. And what kept him on that cross was patience. Choosing to wait until the suffering was done. Because he knew that what God asked him to do in that moment was good, was compassionate, was faithful. That is the nature of his heart. To be faithful, to suffer for you so that you do not know the depth of suffering that you deserve. And as we hold that into our hearts, that helps us to wait 
on the Lord because we know that everything that he brings into our life must be in some way, shape, or form. A way that he's bringing into our heart the needed aspects of life that will help us to be fruitful. That will fill us in a way that we could not be filled in any other way. What he's doing is he's writing a better story with your life than you could ever write for yourself. The award-winning author Kate DiCamillo, who wrote Because of Winn-Dixie and The Tale of Despero, two books that won the Newbery Prize for juvenile literature, tells this story. She says, I was standing in the grocery store one day at the checkout line and a small boy walked past me. He walked past me once, then twice, then three times. And when he came back the fourth time, he was holding his mother's hand and said, Mommy, that's her. And he pointed at me. Don't point, honey, said the mother. And then to me, she said, I'm sorry. <laughs> My son's class is reading this book, The Tale of Despero, and for some reason he thinks that you're the author of that book. I am the writer, I said. Oh, she said, how lovely. Is it okay if he asks you a question then? Absolutely, I said. Go ahead, honey, to the boy. And the child looked up at me and said, what I want to know is, will it be okay? Will the mouse in the story be okay? Yes, I told him. Oh, he said, good. Now I can relax my heart. Yes, I said again, you can. And then she remarks, oh, his heart. Oh, my heart. Oh, all of our hearts. You see, that's what it's like to wait on the Lord, to know that the author of your story stands before you and you can ask him, will it be okay? And the author of your story says, yes. And our response is to say, oh, then I can relax my heart. That's why Isaiah tells us that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will not be weakened by waiting. They will renew their strength. And that's why they can run and not grow weary and walk and not grow faint because their waiting is not in themselves. Their patience is not in themselves, but it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift of the Lord to his people who know that he is compassionate and faithful in all that he does for them. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your character in the way that it is the ground of our life, the hope of our heart. May it enable us to be steadfast people and long-suffering people, people marked by patience that is the gift of your spirit sowing into our hearts your character. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.